Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Scott Stebbin Podcast. It's so good today. And we have an update episode today. Uh, as some of you may have known, like a couple weeks ago, we both Micah, Jordan, and I had talked about the uh, Church of God and Church of God Affirm website and kind of talking through everything and kind of the Church of God's handling of responding to it. And in our last episode that dropped last week, we kind of made a mention that the Church of God is going to be addressing, um, it's going to be addressing later this afternoon, the whole Church of God Affirm thing in regards to human sexuality. So Micah and I have watched the, I called it a press conference and you thought that was funny, but we watched the um, letter or the message regarding that Church of God Affirm and uh, we are here to discuss it. So Micah, uh, how are you doing today, and and how are you feeling after watching that beautiful press conference? I don't know if you can call it a press conference. I mean, it was you know we, you know Jim and Joshua were were sitting at a table and they were on Facebook Live, so there was no podium involved. So I don't know that you could call it a press conference. Yeah, there was but... and there was no newscasters in the thing asking live questions. You had to like call them in or, or text them. Submit. I think you had to text, text. them. In. Uh, I think they well they put a they put a thing out on social media about a week ago where they were collecting emails, but then mm-hmm. during the actual stream they put a, a phone number where you could text it. And I think um, the the what was it an hour and a half, ninety minutes, a little over ninety minutes. And by the time they actually got to taking questions, I think they only answered like four or five. Yeah, which which think about that for a second. Two thousand churches in North America and you know the United States and Canada, and you get to answer five questions (laughs) well i guess that's well i mean it also depends on how many people are saying the same exact thing you know that that is true but but still let's just say you like mathematically right yeah you're thinking in in a 90 minute session you get the end there's only four to five questions that are going to be answered out of maybe hundreds and thousands of questions that were submitted even if you filter them down there's going to be a ton of questions And it was pretty much only like maybe a half an hour, maybe, of question time. And the first hour was just Jim speaking. Jim speaking. Occasionally, Joshua would speak for a hot minute. And then Jim starts speaking again. (laughs) So so before we get off the rails, how did you feel about the whole thing before we even dive into the, the meat of it? Like the whole thing, like just contained to the video or just the whole process and then getting to the video. Because we weren't know how I feel about the whole process. And then we finally got this video. And I Correct. felt like so, so the video, like just the video, like Friday's experience. Okay, so if we're just if we're just narrowing it down just to Friday's experience, I thought the video was I felt like the video was well done as far as how it presented, how it looked. I felt like, you know, I've heard Jim Line speak. I mean, he was my pastor when I was going to school at Anderson, when it was still North Anderson uh, Church of God before it became Madison Park. Um, And I've heard him speak a couple of times. And I felt like this was probably, I don't know if it was unprepared or he was nervous, but I could just tell there were certain ticks and moments where I just felt like he was just kind of, Un, not necessarily unsure or uncomfortable, but it just felt like he was just trying to be very clear careful. and careful with his words of what he was going to say so that nothing could be taken out of context. And I think if you're in that position, 
where you have to be, especially on a subject that had caused such a crap storm on social media, to put it to put it bluntly, um, you have to be careful with your words because you don't want anybody to take something and then just say, oh, well, that's what he, he said this and he's twist his words, yeah. twist his words and everything else. So it's like, OK, and I, and I think maybe that's why the video took so long. Because, I mean, it was a 90, 90 minutes. And, I mean, especially if people only have an attention span of, like, you know, 30 seconds. <laughs> it's it's kind of hard to sit through a 90-minute segment and listen mm-hmm. to everything, especially if you're – especially during a Friday between 1, 1 and 2.30 where, you know, if you're working or if you have stuff you have to do, like, you're not going to just sit in your office chair or sit on your phone and watch this presentation. Which again makes me wonder why they want to take down the video, which I guess is going like to be tomorrow. tomorrow. Take down. Yeah, which to me doesn't make sense because you want to try to make sure you get enough people to watch it, to reflect on it, to understand it, and then that way have an understanding of of everything. Especially since you know we have over what two thousand congregations in the U.S. and Canada. Hmm. Yeah. Um. I actually, I mean, I was at work on Friday and I had it pulled up on my, like my second monitor and was watching it while I worked. And, um, I, you know, my wife will be the first to tell you that I'm not the most patient person in the world. And it just, to me, seemed like it took, it didn't need to be 90 minutes as far as the length of the, the overall thing. But, um, you know, Scott, you preach, you know, I don't know how long you preach for normally, uh. I've listened to a couple of your messages, but like on an average, I don't know what like your 20 minutes tops. Okay. Okay, great. So like average, I guess, you know, I think uh, it was like 31, 33, 34 minutes before we actually got to like the meat of the conversation um, to what the church of God actually um, believes and um, that we were going to stand by that and explaining. I thought, I thought, you know, if I'm backing up a few steps, I thought it was good that Jim explained the process of what the General Assembly does for those that may not know. Um, Yeah. The idea of Jim can't just get on a Facebook Live and make a decision. And I don't know how many folks thought that that was going to happen come Friday. And if they they did, I think they're delusional. I'm sorry if that offends somebody. But, like, he can't make something out of thin air like that. Like he has to go through a process. We have to go through the general assembly, and I, and I thought that that was articulated well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, absolutely. And it's, uh, you know, I, I the other part of that conversation was I wondered if people thought that, you know, he was going to get on there and just say something completely radically different than what the Church of God believes. I I don't think that. Again, I think people were delusional of that. Were you know people think that was going to happen? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I am thankful. Um, I am thankful that he, uh, you know, getting into the meat of the conversation, I, I, I'm thankful that he did say that the Church of God, right now, as it stands, believes that marriage is still between a man and a woman. I'm also thankful that he said that as of right now, and as the history has been told in our our denomination movement, <laughs> that, um. He said denomination a couple of times, so I'm not. Yeah, (laughs) but 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 I'm also I am also thankful that as as the history goes in our in our in our Church of God church that Mm -hmm. 
transgenders and homosexuals and those of the LGBTQ community will not hold credentials in the church of God. Mm-hmm. They haven't and they won't unless something radically changes for that. You know, I'm thankful. Um, I, I would be lying if I wasn't sitting on the edge of my seat the entire time that that was going on, waiting for something to happen, even though I knew subconsciously that he couldn't just come out and say, Hey, <laughs> we're, we're doing this now. Right. Without going through GA and then, um, you know, backing up just a, a little bit, like, I'm glad that he also said that, um, well, I had a conversation with Trey Oldham, which has been on our show before. He's he's part of Leadership Focus, and mm-hmm. he was on our show last fall. And he um, he and I talked on the phone last week. And if if you know you want something to be brought up in General Assembly, you have to have it submitted to the Church of God Ministries Office by the end of April, the year of a national convention. So mm-hmm. Jim was having this Facebook Live conversation on friday june what was it 9th and mm-hmm. um nobody had submitted anything up until that point all the all that's happened has been oh we have a, this this website called chaga firm and mm-hmm. this is what we, we stand for and this is what we want even though they didn't say what they wanted and there's no scripture or theology or anything to back it up it's just this website with a bunch of people signatures on it basically and yeah. a bunch of stories on it but they did not submit anything to my knowledge to the national offices. Do you know anything about that? Yeah. So at least uh, from what I, my understanding from all the information I was able to gather and just conversations uh, that I've had with other people within the church of God, like there hasn't been anything officially submitted. And I think that was kind of the big point that Jim was saying, like, Hey, we can't even have a conversation or even vote on any, type of change to the or the assembly can't make any changes or anything else like that unless unless something has been submitted to i think it's the bl the blre i forget what it's called but it's yeah something. it's like i think the blr bl i don't uh, it's the not B-I-B-L-E. The, the b-i-b-l-e if it's not submitted to the b-i-b-l-e then it's not going to be talked about. And now he, I think there is, I think there is something mentioned that like, you know, it could be brought up during general assembly to they can't vote on it until the following, but they right? couldn't vote on it till the following. So they couldn't vote on anything till 2024. So there's still a possibility that this topic could be brought up during, during the general assembly in Tampa, but it's not going to be voted on or any decisions going to be made until 2024 um so with all that being said i'm gonna i'm gonna vote or use my vetoing power to basically say we're going to cut out stories gone wild because i really want to get to the meat of this and feel like okay well I, you know you have to I go, had a really have good to go one. and we're gonna <laughs> you gotta save it next week micah um so I just want to jump right in because there's a couple things that I thought was interesting. And, and again, you know, we said how it just took so long. And so it was a 90-minute video on Friday. It was our general director, Jim Lyons, and also Joshua Brandt, who is like the head of the credentials committee for not only the Church of God, but I think Joshua even says he sits on a credentialing board in uh, Michigan as well. So He's also the lead pastor of Penway Church in Michigan, too. Okay, so... 
Yeah. So obviously, you know, this guy is kind of all over the whole credentialing thing. Um, so there's a couple things that I thought was interesting. The first thing is Jim admitted, and I don't know, he, he meant he as a very at the beginning, like at least within the first 16 minutes of this uh, 90 minute video, he admitted that, you know, that GA is important, that no decision can be made unless the general assembly basically says votes or says, okay, you know, we want to make this change or we're going to do this. But he also admitted that even though he's the, he said he as a general director, you know, there's a great responsibility in that position, but it's also a position that has no leveraging power. Which is very which to me is very interesting than let's say the Lutherans or the Presbyterians or even the United Methodists, because you kind of have people who are in those positions that do have leveraging power to basically say, okay, and, and, you know, to be able to say, hey, we're going to make this change. Or even if they want to really make a change, they can even call a special meeting or a special meeting outside of their annual meetings or their uh, general um, their general meetings, which sounds the same, but they're two different things. I found that out the hard way. But, um, but just like that, you know, they could say, okay, hey, there's this issue. We definitely need to talk about it. We're going to hold a special annual meeting to discuss it so that it can be brought up to our general meeting. Um, so with that being said, it was very interesting because there's this thing where just because you're in a position of power, especially within the church of God, doesn't necessarily mean that you have the power to make any changes or to do anything. It's almost like, it's almost like how some churches bylaws where you have a lead pastor and it's like, okay, well, you're the lead pastor, but when it comes to voting for changes in the church or doing things, you can make suggestions, but basically it's the board of elders that actually has the voting power and the pastor doesn't have anything. And then part of me goes, well, then what good is a pastor if the pastor sees a certain vision that God has called them to move in a certain issue or a mission or a core a mission statement change or anything else it's like hey guys i think that we should do this okay we vote no like i mean how many pastors would stay in a church like that if they feel like well god's calling me to this vision and i have a board that's telling me no 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 like i'm not going to stay here like so that's where i think it's kind of interesting that even in the higher ups of the church of god movement denomination um that that's even the general calling it the movement denomination, the general director really doesn't have any any power at all. I mean, maybe some, but nothing that can make a change. Like you said, like, you know, is Jim Lyons going to say something very radical saying, hey, because of this, we are now going to change. And now we are going to ordain LGBTQIA people within the Church of God. Like he doesn't have the authority or the power to make such a decision. Hmm. Um, which I, I think too, like, you know, we're going to focus on, on what happened Friday, but like it, it really makes you want to learn more about the structure and leadership all the way down to the local church. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Local district, state, national, how does that work? Who's accountable to who, um, how does it really go down? 
what what power or what decisions can can some people make is it different in every state um and, and and i think we'll get into this in a little bit but like when when joshua was talking about the credentialing thing you know it, it almost seemed like okay if 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 this state you know seems like or needs feels like it's necessary to have a conversation we're going to have a conversation but it's up to that state and their credentials team yeah, and that was the yeah, and and I think even that it's almost like if, for example, if you're having a conversation with your state, and let's just say your state goes, oh well, because you signed Cogafurb, we're going to revoke your credentials, right? Hmm. And then they feel like that it's an unfair bias, then they can go and send something to the national. Or I felt like that's what it said. Like you can kind of do like a um. You can send something to the national, and the national has to look at everything. Say if there's a formal, a formal document written saying yes, we're going to remove this person's credentials because of this. And then if you say nope, I'm rebut, I'm refuting it. Then that's when the national credentials team gets involved into the conversation. Um, but yeah. at the same time, I know how good people are with within the church of God in general, like anytime when there's anything formal or any documents or anything that's being transferred, how clear cut it is. You know what I mean? Especially if you live in a state where let's say if you live in a state like Virginia, where your state director is part-time and also a part-time pastor, if anything with the credentialing team and then everyone, and everyone on the credentialing team is probably pastors within the state. So the max, like if, if, you know, if I was still in Virginia and they said, hey, Scott, we're going to revoke your credentials because you believe this, this, this and this, which is different than what the Church of God believes. Then. I mean, they say 30 days, but let's say I have that meeting immediately. I send something to the national office saying, hey. My credentials are being revoked. I want to dispute it. But then they're looking at the file work on their end and they're not seeing any documentation that being sent to them. And then 30 days have passed and it's like, well, it's almost like it's the person who really wants to keep their credentials. They have to do the homework and say, okay, when did the state actually have time to submit the paperwork? So then I can go to the national office and say, hey, I'm, I'm disputing this, so let's have that conversation. It's almost like it's all dependent on if proper paperwork has been filed, <laughs> which you never know if that's going to happen quickly or if that's going to be something that's going to happen months out from that initial conversation. So that's the one thing when I heard that immediately, I'm thinking, oh, that's not good. <laughs> I don't think there's anything on the Church of God website where you can easily just click a button and say, hey, I want to dispute this. It's probably like, well, email us and we will, or just call us and we will we'll figure out what's going on or we'll tell you what to do. Like, if I want to dispute something, I want to hit a button and then send a form and then say, hey, or even for those who are on the state side, hey, we wrote this person's, here's the information, here's what we decided, here's an upload of our notes from that meeting, and then that way you're just creating a trail of evidence, I guess, basically, to say, okay, here's how it's going. But it almost sounds like that's not really how that works. Yeah, you know, the word that comes to mind is autonomous, and mm-hmm. it's... To me, it's it's kind of uh, it's bizarre if you think about it. Like if they want if they want more control, it's almost like the national and state 
doesn't really want that responsibility, even though it's supposed to be their responsibility. At least that's how the structure is set up. But mm-hmm. like, you know, uh, Scott, I don't, you know, name a state, but like if, I don't know, so-and-so Church of God in South Southern Arkansas is not a super healthy space, is the state pastor in Arkansas going to go in there and do something about that? Or can can they go in there and do something about that? And I know the answer to that. You're shaking your head right now, but like, I know the answer to that. But yeah. like, it's, it, it makes me wonder why we have the setup we do if they're not able to do anything and won't do anything. Well, and that's the thing. Like when I was talking, when I was giving all this information to the pastor that I work at, because again, you know, I'm working at a UMC church. So, um, you know, and, and again, this, uh, this past week, the UMC had their annual conference, which is basically like their state GA. And then they have their general conference, which is like their national GA. So, how it works is they go, they have this conference, all the state ministers are of the Western Ohio conference meet together, have this conversation. And then the pastors and at least one lay person, lay delegate makes says, Hey, here's some of the things we would like to be presented or things we want, wish that the, uh, the greater, the leadership of the UMC would like to, change whether it's in their book of disciplines or whatnot and they kind of give that to the bishop and then the bishop becomes a representation at general assembly to basically say okay here's some of the things that the west ohio conference wants to see happen and that becomes like kind of the big thing but there's a very big structure on how everything happens within within that space where i feel like in the church of god it's not that clear cut it's not that polished it's very much like it's almost very much like i can tell you i can give you advice i can give you resources but i'm going to be very hands-off on everything Mm. because i mean because if the state director of arkansas says okay there's a lot of unhealthy unhealthiness happening in this church i and myself cannot go and do anything about it like basically kind of how it works, or at least how I know it, how it worked in Virginia, is if there was a super, if there was a very toxic situation at a church, and either the pastor or a lay person in the church said something to the state, more likely it's the credentialing team that's going to come in there and assess everything. Mm. And based on what the credentialing team says, if the credentialing team says, yeah, like, it's very unhealthy, we need to Either A, we need to remove the pastor, or B, there are certain individuals in this church that we're just basically going to have to say they're no longer welcome here because they're just, it's too much of a power struggle and they're just causing a lot of damage to the church. Then that's when the state director said, okay, based on the recommendation by the credentialings team, then I have the power to basically say, sorry, you're going to have to go and we're going to have to work through that. Um, Yeah, but at least that's. What if, like, what if you're a young pastor and you just don't feel like you're supported from yeah. a district or a state level? Like, you know, you go into this place, they feel like you're, like, you've mentioned your friend before who goes into a situation and they don't have the support of the state where they are and they sell their house, they move. And then, by the way, you're not going to have a job now. And so, like, they're, you know, they're screwed because they yeah. just sold their house and moved halfway across the country. But then they don't have the support that they need to get through things. Or if you look at, you know, that's kind of a, 
worst case scenario, but like, what if you go to a church and you're not, you know, you're there six to eight months, you know, six to eight months and you're like, you know, um, this isn't, you know, they painted a completely different picture when I candidated here and it's not in really good shape. And so what do we do uh, to fix that? And, and, you know, if you believe that God's called you there to be the catalyst to, to, to provide change, to provide new leadership, to breathe fresh wind into that ministry. And you get there and you can't, but then, you know, you need to go to, you know, somewhere else to, you know, it's, it's more than going to Bob Evans with your friend, who's a pastor and have, you know, a, a decompression period where or a decompression yeah. session over coffee. Well, man, brother, things aren't going great. What do you do? Like, yeah. and if you go to your state and you're like, hey, I'm having this trouble, what do I do? And they're like, well, maybe you should just resign. Well, that's not really an answer. Other yeah. than like, hey, we're just leaving and going to another situation or just leaving ministry altogether. And then you wonder why giving's down. And you wonder why people are leaving the ministry. And you wonder why people are leaving your denomination movement because they don't feel supported. Yeah. And, Is that and, fair? And- yeah, I think it's fair. And that's the one thing that my pastor said, because when she'd ask questions and I have to say, and basically I had to say, well, technically they can't do that because of this, 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 like, oh, can the national director just say this? Or can the state minister say this? I'm like, well, no, because it has to do this and this. And, and I said, and then she mentioned the word denomination. And I know we joke about that on our show a bunch. And I said, well, don't say it's a denomination because it's a movement. And then the comment that my the pastor made was, well, I think movement's just a substitute for weak denomination. And I'm like, oh, and I, I couldn't dispute that. I, I sat there and I'm like, I can't dispute that. I cannot dispute that at all. Like that's, to me, that's hard <laughs> to, to hear, but it, it, it's right. It's like, it's like we have this system that's set up to fail or set up that has no power. Or, you know, if a pastor does say something or they do talk to a state minister, the state minister may say, oh, yeah, that sounds really bad. And I'm on your side and I'll be praying for you. But there's really nothing that they can do to really help you get the tools or get the power to to change anything because because it, it just is. It's just like Well, that's that. just the so, way the structure is set up at this point. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, so that was one thing that I felt like that was a big thing where he kind of talked a little bit about as general director, I don't really have power. The power really comes to the general assembly and that assembly is important. And he even, and there's a couple of times where Jim says he's not trying to be snarky, but you could tell he's being snarky on some of the stuff. He's saying, Hey, if you want to see change happen in the church of God, if you really want to hear your voices heard, or if you really have some of these concerns about the movement in the direction of which the Church of God Reformation movement's going, the way you have a voice, the way you can be a spark for change is by actually coming and showing up to General Assembly. Now, I can understand if you're like a lay person, probably General Assembly is not going to really, it's going to keep you informed, but I don't think you can really vote on change. I'm assuming if it's, if the national is set up like state, Usually it works that a pastor has voting rights and then a lay person from that church has voting rights. So that's why each church has like at least two representatives is the pastor or any of the the pastor and any ordained pastor and then a lay person from that particular church. So really, if you had pastors on the 
who are on the social media crap storm going like, oh, this is happening or this is happening or this, 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 and all this stuff. It's like, well, guess what, buddy? If you want to see change, then actually come to GA. Come to our General Assembly. Come be fed. Come get the tools you need to help lead your churches. But then you get to vote on all the stuff that's happening, all the changes that are going to be made. And sure, there might be some pastors who may be upset, like, oh, a price hike in church church registration and pastoral registration. Did you actually attend that GA where that was being voted on? Because if you didn't, it is kind of Jim's point. If you didn't show up and you're not making your voice heard and you're not really helping with the, you know, kind of planting the seeds for the direction of the movement, then don't be standing on the street corner crying foul when you're not even being a part of it, which I think mm-hmm. is a very fair assessment. I, I know would we say- talk- Go no, ahead, Micah. No, I was going to say I would. I would say that you know, the argument to that would be, well, I can't make it. I'm bivocational. I, you know, I, it's halfway across the country, or it's on the other side of the country. But there are, but I guess, there are vote, options. Yes, you can vote abstentions. Yeah. Oh, I was going yeah. oh, to say that, or you know, they give they've given the option in the last you know several, uh, sorry, conventions to attend remotely. So yeah, and I think you um, even have to pay a fee for that, but it, it's still like very cheap. It's not like you're paying a regular registration fee. It's like and I'm and I might do that because I have to work. I, I, there's no way that I can get to Tampa. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if you're going to do that or not, but um, well, I I can't remember because I felt like it was last year where they offered the live thing, and then eventually they said, okay, we're not offering it anymore because not many people signed up for it, so they weren't going to offer live stream. Or was that last year they did that? You know, I really, I, I don't remember. Or is um, it this year? And then you're going to go on there and go, how come I can't watch this live? It's like, oh, they canceled it because someone registered for it. But I guess it gets, I mean, regardless, it, it gets to my point that even though they have given, the Church of God National has given a plethora of information to say, hey, here's ways you could be a part. You can show up to Tampa. If you can't make Tampa, you could vote in abstention. If you can't, if you don't do that, you can watch online through Zoom because we now have the capability and the technology to do that. So if you have these three options and you as a church leader choose not to show up, then really you have no one else to blame. If you don't like the direction that the Church of God is going, you have no one else to blame but yourself because you didn't show up and made your voice heard. Virtual General Assembly is $30. Virtually. And how much is regular regular registration? Like 80, standard 90? At, standard at the door is 179. So okay, so 179 versus the online price. Like that's but I can't afford just, that. Well, but then vote abstention because not only do you vote abstention, they'll tell you all the stuff that they're voting on for. And you can even read all the changes that they're gonna make to the grid. I mean, you have all that. It's the same thing like if I'm gonna vote and I can't beat make it to the polls, I could vote an abstention for you know, local or federal government positions, like you can vote absentee. You can vote absentee, and yet, yet, and when I vote absentee, they're going to tell me they're going to give me the verbiage. You're going to tell me everything that I need to know about what I'm voting for. So, mm. 
No, it says standard standard at the door is one hundred and seventy nine dollars, includes a if applicable uh, rate from June first through the event. Yeah. Retired minister seventy nine dollars. International guest is fifty. Children under eighteen is free. Virtual general assembly only is twenty nine dollars. And then there's another um, leader power up bundle, which is two hundred fifty dollars. As it includes registration for child convention and leader intensive from CWC. Cool. Okay, so you have options. So, but needless to say, you guys have options. So, if you're a church god pastor and you're like grumble, grumble, grumble. You have options. Stop grumbling. Take ownership of the movement you say you're a part of, whether you're giving I wonder, to it or not. <laughs> I mean, not that um you know, not not that uh you know they're gonna I don't know if they're gonna like I don't know, monitor this, but like I wonder what the percentage of uh sorry, excuse me, folks that would be you know, doing it remotely because of the price hike and because people can't afford things and, you know, inflation. And I, I just wonder how many, you know, you and I have had this conversation on separate episodes of the Scott Stedman podcast, but like the, the idea of, you know, things being so much more expensive, are people going to attend remotely just because of that and because of their location? Do you think that that is going to play a major role into this year's convention or do you think people are going to take advantage of the remote option i guess is what i'm saying well here's the thing if people don't take advantage of the remote option ideally they're probably going to say well then why are we going to offer it if no one's going to take a part of it Hmm. and and because i because i mean because i mean think about it if you're going to have a remote option that means even though you're probably going to have like a sound team and a video team and stuff to kind of highlight everything you're still going to have to have a team or a way to make sure you have the best equipment to be able to stream it live for people to watch it and pay someone to do that so if that's not a valuable option then you don't want to waste the resources and the time of somebody to have something that no one's really utilizing mm-hmm. and i think that's kind of the big and that's kind of the big thing um so if people aren't going to take advantage of it i don't know if it'll be offered and especially as you know, we're slowly getting out of our pandemic season. As each year progresses, you know how much are we going to continue to live stream these events, or at least, you know, it's almost like, well, you know, we'll do, we'll just film, we'll, you know, we'll record all the like main speakers and and stuff, but we're not going to have the live stream. Well, of course, we're not going to live stream on public access all the voting decisions of the general assembly because. That would probably be something private. But if you're paying into a live stream, you are going to get that access so that you can make your voice heard. So I just did some quick math. Okay. For for me to go from, from Dayton to Tampa is $400 for a round-trip ticket. Hotel, Hampton Inn in Tampa, Florida is $135 a night. And then um, the registration was $179. So... Before my food, Scott, it would be twelve hundred and fifty-four dollars for me by myself. Versus what ninety dollars for a live stream? It's thirty dollars once for the GA. No, thirty dollars. So there you go. Right. I think you can bucks. attend. I think you can attend. Right. Not attend, but like watch the the live stream online every night. The actual service and the speakers. I don't think there's a cost for that. But the, so basically, the $30 it's thirty dollars for to vote the GA so that you can vote and attend GA virtually. Yep. 
What am I going to do, Scott? $1,200 or $30? i am a bivocational pastor. I can't afford $30. I pastor a church of 50 people. Hmm, I'm going to pay $30. But but here's the thing, and and I'm going to be blunt about this. I bet you anything, if something at this GA is mentioned about Church of God Affirm and affirming LGBTQ, and that becomes on the agenda for next year, I guarantee you, there's going to be a lot of people, bivocational pastors or people who don't want to pay the thousands of dollars that go to General Assembly that are going to log on to that thing so that their voices can be heard. Mm-hmm. I guarantee it. I guarantee it's probably going to happen because that's, again, it goes back to this is a hot button issue, not only with the Church of God, but with within society in general. So I'm not surprised if that does happen, if you know, if in 2024, the affirmation conversation is going to be brought up. Um, before before you jump, before you jump to the next part of that, do you mm-hmm. do you think that generationally speaking, like our generation, there's just a loss of interest in, in that going to that every year? And just I know I it's think, expensive, but like, do you think that there's just a general lack of interest in it overall? So. Okay, so let me speak before we had Zoom and all the live streaming technology and everything else. I would say not necessarily a lack of it, but the fact is is that you have young people who are going into the ministry who are probably taking positions of churches that are on the decline, especially since like, you know, early 2000s, most churches in the church got have been on decline. Um so the likelihood that you're a pastor, a young pastor of a church that is actually thriving is very slim. Um, so I think just society and recessions that we've had and just kind of the state of the church, I think that has kind of dwindled interest because they can't afford to go. At the same time, I think if you're a young person and you want to make your voice heard and you want to fight for change within the church of God. And you're constantly being told, you know, it's not your time yet, or you're too young or whatever. And you're in the back of the line, which is the opposite of what most kids, when they get that call to ministry, like at a convention or a church camp where they're saying, you're the future of the church of God, and you're going to do great things and you're going to do this. So, you know, if I get that pep talk and I feel I feel a calling of God's life and then I get that af- affirmation of God's calling on my life from people at camp, people within my church, people when I go to Bible college from my peers or even from my professors, then I go through ordination. I think, OK, I'm going to change the world for God through the church of God movement. And I'm being told by the higher ups. Yeah, nope. Then, yeah. I'm not going to be interested in making change because why does it matter? Cause my voice isn't being heard anyway. So what's the point mm. or, or I'm going to jump ship to a different denomination or I'm going to go non-denominational or I'm just no longer going to be associated with the church of God. I may be pastoring a church of God church, but we may change some things and say, well, well let's not call ourselves church of God. We'll just say we're non-denominational, mm-hmm. but we're not going to give the Anderson. We're not going to give the state ministry. We'll just take the funds that we're giving for missions and we'll actually help fund things in our community or fund things overseas. Maybe we'll send some of the global strategies, our missionary branch of the church of God, but we're just not going to do that. So I don't know. Like, I really don't know, but I think, 
I mean, I could tell you, like, I'm always interested in that stuff because I felt like, but at the same time, I was in a state like in um, Virginia where I felt like my voice was being heard and that the stuff that I was doing was important for the state where, but again, you know, there's only 40, 40 some churches in the state of Virginia versus in Ohio. I didn't feel that way, but that's because there's probably at least that time before I left Ohio, there's at least 200 Ohio congregations of the church of God in there. So you had a lot of other pastors and leaders in there. So you only, and you only had so many positions to fill. So it's not like, you know, brother Jim probably had more importance because he had 25 years of ministry experience versus me who, when I was in Ohio, I probably had at least pastoral experience was like maybe one or two years. Yeah. Even though I had like 10 years of ministry experience, if you count camp ministry. Yeah, exactly. I think, but I think if you take it a step further and, you know, when you, you know, say, let's say you go to a convention, do you feel empowered when you leave? Do you feel like you've learned things or is it like, you know, the way that I look at camp meeting, you know, whatever you want to call it, you know, the convention these days, uh, um, when I was a kid, it was called camp meeting. It was Anderson camp meeting. It was held at Anderson University. It was held in Warner Auditorium. Is it right, Warner Auditorium? Um, mm-hmm. the The idea was that we, you know, it was almost like a, a this, this is going to sound terrible, but a glorified revival where all pastors and their families would come together and we would have worship and we'd have speakers every night. And like, yes, there were activities during the day on the campus of Anderson, Anderson University. But do you leave feeling equipped? Do you like as a as a worship pastor? Did would I you know would I leave knowing more than I did before about the Church of God? Would I know more about my area of of ministry? Would I know more about how to better serve my church? Uh, would I know more about things like what what happens and things go wrong? Or let's say you know I go back to my church after convention and then um, there's a strong push for LGBTQ plus and what do I what am I supposed to do with that? So like kind of steering back to the conversation that started our podcast today, what, you know, like, do you feel empowered when you leave those places and leave those spaces as far as, um, you know, and, and I think take that a step further and I keep saying that, but like the whole idea of, you know, I can sit here and, and record with you every Monday morning and I enjoy that so much, but we can do it over a zoom call Mm -hmm. or I can record, record nerd talk with Jordan who lives in Oklahoma over a zoom call. I'm going to yeah. teach a leadership focus class later today with five or six candidates from Washington and Ohio and Oklahoma and Florida, like all over the country, literally. And we're just sitting on a Zoom call together and learning about Jesus and how to equip uh, ministers to, you know, lead in the local church. And I, I can do that over a Zoom call and not have to spend $1,250 to go to Tampa, Florida. Yeah, And it's not that absolutely. I don't want to go to Tampa, Florida, because, you know, God knows I should. I could use some sun, you know, because I'm a little pale. Uh, but it's it's just not re- it's not feasible, right? For some people to to be expected to pay that kind of money and then not come out of it really, I don't know, empowered, equipped, ready to do. Like if they're doing the same stuff that they've been doing, which I don't know, I haven't been to convention in a couple of years, so I, you know, I can't I can't speak to that. It's a whole lot more attainable to like like you said, Scott. Like last fall, you went to GA in Columbus. You know, you live, I don't know how far away. I mean, you're in Bexley, but like you're probably half hour or so from 
park. Yeah, but it was a 20 minute drive. Yeah. Yeah, it's a meadow park. So like you can pay, I don't know how much it is for what's it, 80 bucks or something for a day long assembly. I paid I paid early registration. So I think my thing was like maybe 40. Okay. So forty dollars. You spend a day within your state and you get to spend some time with the leaders that you know and you hear a message, you hear uh, something from a you know, another leader within the church, not the church God, maybe, but like, I don't know. Yeah. Some other, you know what I'm going, where I'm going. Yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's kind of go back to the, the Chaga firm. Uh, Facebook yeah. Live. And, and so, yeah, I want to, yeah. Cause I mean, we've been talking about the, which I think it's important when we have to address. They're the tied together. Ultimately. Because they're tied together. And yeah. so, I mean, it does. So I want to go. So one thing that Jim said too, which I, I'll go through this stuff quickly. He mm-hmm. said that, there's been other groups in the past that I've used the Church of God Anderson name. And when whoever the higher up, whether it was Jim or previous, those in leadership have asked these groups to differentiate um, from, you know, so that they do not speak for, you know, the General Assembly because they don't. A lot of times those people say, well, you don't have ownership of the name. We're a movement. You don't have ownership of the name. So that's kind of another issue. Um, but then he finally gets down to brass tacks basically saying, that the GA view of homosexuality does not align with Church of God a view. Um, he addresses the sin issue. Um, he he kind of speaks on the sin issue as a generality, not just targeting um, LGBTQ, but just kind of targeting human sexuality in general. Um, kind of really got down to that, um, of really discussing that. Um, he also talked about that as defined by GA, marriages between one man and one woman, and that, um, you know, LGBTQIA individuals uh, will not be, um, as of right now, will not be affirmed or confirmed for ordination. Um, He also said that people need to be respectful of other struggles and not be mean and nasty, because we all struggle with some sort of sin thing, especially in regards to human sexuality, uh, churches need to be a safe place to ask questions, and we need to look at all matters of human sexuality, not just focus on LBGTQ issues. So that would be things like pornography, pedophilia, like really anything that has to do with sexuality. You all need to discuss all issues and not just focus on the LGBTQ stuff. Um, and again, we already talked about some of that stuff. Um, really, they did talk about in what case would someone's extreme removal of one's credentials would be implemented and right now according to the credentialing manual the only time someone is basically going to get their credentials revoked like instantaneously is when there has been a crime against children abuse Mm -hmm. violence pedophilia sexual assault like all those things with children those are the type of things that will be um will be um taken the other thing and i think this goes with this not only with how the leadership goes but really they mentioned a lot about the scriptures and one of the things that was mentioned is that scripture is a measurement of the church of god so basically it goes back to what does the scriptures say and that they believe that the scriptures are supernaturally canon that the canonized version of the bible that the church of god uses that that was supernaturally put together so i think it'd be fair to say that the view in the church of god of 
how they view the Bible or how they view the Holy Scriptures is that it is a manual on how to navigate things, any issues, any topics, that the Scriptures is going to be the ultimate um, foundation of whatever changes that's going to happen within the movement. It all has to come from Scriptures, and it has to be justified by the Scriptures. Do you think that's a fair assessment of how the Church of God views uh, the Holy Scriptures? That it's more of a manual and that it's kind of. Uh, are you uh, asking uh, if. Go ahead. No, no. I mean, because that's what Jim said. I mean, from what I got, Jim says that they use scripture as a measurement. So it's basically what does the scripture say about this topic or issue? So how would you how would you interpret that as how the Church of God views um, the scriptures or views the Bible? I was going to ask if you if you meant like what does the church of God believe the Bible is in, in reference to the ministry in reference to what we believe the scripture says, or what, what was he talking about in this context? That, I'm, I'm thinking about I, more about him talking about it in his context from a, from a church of God, national leadership perspective. How do they Jim Lyons or the, General Assembly or the people who are on his leadership team, how do they view the scriptures? Because if you, if we're being honest, there's a lot of different ways people view the scriptures. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think even the last class I took on biblical hermeneutics, there's like at least eight different ways that are popular that people view the scriptures. And how they view the scriptures goes with how they respond or act or lead based on how they understand the scriptures. I I don't I really don't know how to answer that. I mean, <laughs> I think it, well, Yeah, it's a, it's a hard on, question. On, well, honestly because like I mean, I've only watched that video live when it was happening and it's been a couple of days since it's kind of marinated um with me but like the um you know, Church of God believes that scripture is the iner inerrant infallible word of God and that's what I believe. Mm -hmm. Um and you know, we're asked to, you know, write, you know, theological papers on, on God's word and uh, incorporate God's word in, um, in those, you know, I don't know, what is it, 15 papers now about different topics, you know, uh, ordinances such as foot washing, communion and baptism, um, church membership, holiness, um, women in ministry. You, just to name a few, um, the kingdom of God, uh, the second coming, things like that. Yeah. Um, and we have to provide scripture to back those up. So if we believe that the word of God is infallible and it is inerrant, then, you know, scripture, we, we yeah. have to, you know, to follow that scripture to the best of our ability and to, to understand that we live in a world removed from the 2000 years ago when, when this word was, was written and um, yeah. the, the prophets interpreted it accordingly um am mm -hmm. i saying that like is it possible to to live uh in you know the pentateuch of yeah. know, leviticus or deuteronomy or exodus or you know during the time of moses i i don't know that that's possible or you yeah. know some people some people will take it as far as like oh we have to to live the law of moses and i'm like i i don't think that that's obtainable yeah, uh, yeah. Um, Especially like when, you know, people have the whole argument of tattoos, for example. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Like Leviticus, it doesn't say don't get tattoos. It says don't mark your 
body in memory of the dead. And it was talking about during the time uh, the book of Leviticus was being written at that time of history, um, people used that kind of stuff for a different, um, different outcome, a different definition. Yeah. And I um, think, yeah. And I think that's kind of the challenge because, you know, if you think about, well, if, if you think, if you see scripture as a manual, then it's basically like, okay, this is what the Bible says. So what the Bible says, that's what I'm going to believe. So for an example, you bring up the topic of tattoos. Well, it says don't mark your body for the dead. So someone may say that, okay, well, me getting a tattoo of a a bunny rabbit on my arm is not me remembering anything of the dead. But then you could take a verse in the New Testament saying that, well, your body is the holy temple. Well, it should be pure. It should be blame, blameless. Well, oh, no, you, you marked a body. You marked your body with mm-hmm. ink, and so you damaged, you defiled the temple that God, your body, which is God's temple. Like, especially if I put like a skull and crossbones on there, or a Satan or a devil or something on my arm, like that. Oh, you've done that. Versus, well, in the Old Testament, it says that a man should not lie down with another man, so homosexuality is bad. Or we could read in the New Testament, homosexuality is bad. So, because the Bible, but then. Like the comment question I said like earlier, like, well, then when you think about women in ministry, Church of God affirms women in ministry. And yet there are some people when they read the Bible as a manual, when they see that a woman should have no authority over a man. Then someone can say, well, the Bible says that. So that means women can't be pastors. But yet the mm-hmm. Church of God says, well, we do. So that's always kind of the weird thing, because I feel like with the Church of God. In some instances, it is that manual. The Church of God says that the Bible says this. So this is what we believe especially from all the little books we've read about what the church of God believes on these 12 issues versus, but we also going to kind of look at the Bible as more of a library where it has to be viewed at a specific place as written for a specific people at a specific time. And what information can we pull out of that? So yeah, I can read the book of Luke and see how anytime when Luke writes about a man, he writes about a woman and how he's very strategically adding women to the, gospel narrative which you could say oh women are affirmed or here's all these women disciples that paul is talking about uh phoebe and lydia and thecla and all these people it's like wow like okay here's these women pastors so we're going to affirm women pastors so that's where i think the whole thing with scripture can get confusing because even within our own movement we could have pastors who say well the bible says this so this is what we believe which goes back to what um what uh caleb said on when we were doing the mail call in our last episode, he goes, he was at a general, you know, at a camp meeting and they said, well, we don't need to talk about it because we, we know what we believe. And it's like, well, do you, well, for some people, maybe you, because you probably view though the Bible says this, the homosexuality is a sin. So that's what I believe. And then there might mm. be other people who may read it more of a library. They read it a little bit more open to see more of the richness of the Bible. And they may say, well, But how we read the scriptures, we don't necessarily see it that way. We actually don't see homosexuality as sinful because we have seen, because the way we read it, we read it that all that stuff has been, that if we are followers of Jesus and we're transformed by Jesus and we have the spirit on us, then that's the goal. And if someone still has, you know, same sex interest, and yet we see that they gave their life to Jesus, we see them being transformed by the spirit, and we see the fruits of the spirit growing on this individual's life, even though they say that they are gay, 
then we want to affirm that because we are seeing the fruits of the spirit working in this person, even though they are, they identify as being gay or lesbian or transgendered. And that's the way they view the Bible. And that's the way they're interpreting things. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's kind of where, so I think that's where the trickiness as far as how the church of God views scriptures kind of, because it is kind of open-ended. To answer your question, my hope is that, that, they would and they do have an understanding if that makes sense mm-hmm. um you know one of the things that i appreciated and and i don't think that we 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 talk about enough that, that jim did say in his um, address was that we don't talk about things like sex enough um, yeah sexuality human sexuality in the local church mm-hmm. um and what what Jim, one of the things Jim said was like, you know, we don't talk about those things. And the reality is we're sexual human beings. We all have yeah. desires. Um, and we all have, you know, Scott, you have two kids. Um, that's, you know, do the, the stork math. Brought get here. The stork brought um, it- <laughs> No, but like, seriously, like, yeah. it's just like, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing to me. Um, you know, I remember as a young child, my dad having that conversation with us. Um, and we, you know, we're like, but that was it. It was like my dad, like, here's, here's where babies come from. And when a mom loves a dad and boom, boom, boom. And here you go. <laughs> boom, boom, right? boom. And so like, but like, other than that, like we never had any of those, yeah. we never had any follow-up conversations. We never had anything else, uh, in reference to any sort of sexuality as far as, Okay you're a raging teenager full of raging hormones and you know, what happened at that point, you know? Yeah. How many people have marital sex? Do you know how many people, uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. So like all those things, I was encouraged that he said that. Um, and 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 it's, it's not something that we should be, go ahead. No, but even that, like when he talked about how we should talk about sexuality in the church, but not just the LBGTQ, because, you know, you may be anti-LGBTQ issues, but yet you're ignoring the fact that you probably have young people in your church that are, cohabitating and having sex before marriage. And yet you're never going to talk or address that issue. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. I, and I think that's a very fair point. Like if you're going to talk about human sexuality, you have to talk about it all from every, from pornography to which, you know, if a pastor's very good and they don't want to be a hypocrite and this may sound bad, but you know, if there's a pastor who's struggling with pornography, that pastor's probably not going to be talking about the evils of pornography from the pulpit because it's maybe a struggle that they have and they don't want to, find out later that oh this person struggles with pornography they talked about pornography okay well then you know they're a hypocrite so you know i think there's a wisdom in that um but yeah you're absolutely right like i appreciate that i also appreciated that he also said that churches need to be safe place for conversations churches mm-hmm. need to be safe place for all people regardless of their sexual identity to come and to experience god And, you know, the church should be that place for those, for individuals of the LBGTQIA community to come in, for those conversations to be discussed. And I think that's, and be an opening, welcoming place. And this is kind of where I want to kind of, the final thing I want to say about all of this is because when it comes to 
what I have seen, and this is going to go back to what we would call the Wesleyan quadrilateral, which is, you know, reason, um, experience, uh, scripture, and then tradition. So those are like the four things. So when I read books about this issue, because again, ever since I started going to become a counselor, you know, I did a whole like research paper on human sexuality, LGBTQ issues. And I was also working with a guy who is gay and he also works in a church here in Columbus, a good friend of mine. And, you know, we were talking about things and we were kind of, you know, discussing things at that time. And one of the things that I thought was so fascinating is from a scientific standpoint, from a counseling standpoint, there's always these things where it's like, well, people are gay because of certain trauma that had happened in their life. And you can look at research and you could say, OK, yeah, that's true. Like there's a lot of things, a lot of evidence that does point to that happening at the same time there's a lot of evidence where someone is like my buddy like my buddy grew up in a good christian home good up with parents who loved them didn't have any like weird uncles or aunts was never in any type of traumatic extremely traumatic situation and yet he has same-sex attraction he's interested in men and you know as much as he has prayed that God would take him away, take it away as he's gone to counseling, as he's done all these things, that has still be kind, still has kind of become a permanent like mark on him. And yet he loves the Lord. He's doing a lot of great work within the city of Columbus as far as um, feeding the homeless and he's doing all this great work in ministry. And you see the fruits of the spirit, but yet out of all his stuff, he can't shake it. You can look at someone like Mel White, who was in the evangelical circles, who wrote books and proof edited books for Pat Robertson and Jerry Falwell, who went through electroshock therapy, almost tried to commit suicide three times because he didn't want to be gay. And yet finally, he just had to come to the point where he had to accept himself because all the praying, all the clinical counseling, Christian counseling, all the psych psychology, all that stuff just didn't help. And yet you can look on the other side where you see the Jackie Hill Perry's, the Rosaria Butterfelds, and even some examples within my own ministry where people have identified in the LBGTQ space, and yet they had had a transformation where they no longer identify as LGBTQ anymore. They had had a transformation, and then those feelings, those attractions just kind of went away. And it's hard for me to talk about this because you look from a scientific standpoint and it's mixed. You look at the case of within Christianity or spirituality and it's mixed. But the one thing that I have always noticed, those who have had, is always noticed is that when you have a opening church, when you have people who are loving on you and loving you unconditionally, even if you're lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgendered, pansexual, whatever the case may be, that there's always going to be a transformation that happens. And whether that transformation happens that you have a gay person that is strong and loves Jesus and is doing great kingdom work, then that's between that person and God. Like, I'm just paving the way. I'm just creating the culture for that transformation to happen. If... They, if another person goes through the same experience and all of a sudden they no longer identify as a lesbian, but as cisgendered, 
then that's between that person and God. And the thing that I think frustrates me a lot is within the church of God is when we start having rules that, yes, we welcome everybody, but if you're gay, well, you have to renounce your gayness within a within a time period or we're going to have to ask you to leave. And mm. I feel like even like when I read Rosaria Butterfeld's testimony, who was very leading and trying to push for the Supreme uh, government to have same-sex marriage. She was on the, she was kind of like on the forefront of that conversation. And yet she writes that she was, she, a Presbyterian minister befriended her, invited her over to her house for a meal. They would just have conversations. It took her at least two to three years before she finally stepped foot in a church. And then it probably took her a couple more years before she finally had that transformation where she no longer identified as a lesbian anymore. So when you think from the Genesis to where she's at now, it took five years. But the constant thing in her story is that there was a pastor that loved her unconditionally. She went to the, his church and the church people there loved her unconditionally. And that's why I think as when we're called by Jesus, we need to love people unconditionally. I think that was something I appreciate about Jim, that we need to love people. We need to be humble. We need to be respectful. And we need to have churches that are open to not only have those conversations, but doing it with gentleness and respect and with unconditional love. Yeah. Um, last thing I'll say. <laughs> no, well, go, go right ahead. One yeah, of the last you're things you'd you, you mentioned... Um, I don't know. The he's. Are you with me? You broke up a bit. It, so I didn't hear that. So okay. go ahead. <laughs> we'll just uh, we'll take it from here. One of the last things I'm going to say is that, um, and I've been really wrestling with this over the last couple of days. Uh, my wife and I have had some pretty uh, intense conversations, not like in a in a fighting way, but just like really taking a deeper look and, and, and having a, a deeper conversation in um, the, we have, you know, I think what it boils down to is cynicism. And I know that we've, we've said that numerous times on, on this podcast, but like um, all cynicism, regardless of whether it's LGBTQ things or mm-hmm. whether it's uh, idolatry um, or, you know, alcoholism, drug addiction, whatever it may be, right? Um, mm-hmm. Whatever you believe it may be, like, right? Like, people will say some sin is not sin and so on and so forth. That's what I mean by that. Um, great example of this is uh, we have some dear friends who we have dinner with probably every week, mm-hmm. if not once maybe twice. And during the pandemic, we, we were with them more than anybody. Right. And we were really close to them and we heard their stories and um, they have a cleaning company and they were in charge of uh, the church that I was working at as far as cleaning and maintenance and things like that. And they have their own, they, they have their own business, but their church, the church we were all working at was one of the, the contracts that they had. This couple it's it's just a miraculous story. They left their spouses to be with each other. Right? So they had an mm. affair mm. to be with each other. And the woman had a daughter from her first marriage who went through a sex change and is now a male. 
Mm-hmm. Now, I love those three people with all my heart. And it wouldn't change anything. I wouldn't change anything about our relationship, about the stories that we've uh, shared over a meal, um, about the gospel, about how we feel, how we we, we have these intense conversations about scripture. Um, but one of the biggest questions that the woman always asked me as a pastor is what do you think the church would think of my now son if they knew mm. his story that and see and i think and that's why when you think about the westland quadrado that's why experience is on there because you know but we've had that we, conversation and we've joked yeah. Right. We've joked about stuff like, you know, because we're close with them. But like, yeah. I don't think anything different of this person because of who they are or what they went through in life. Exactly. And, but there's and a goes, sense, of, but there's a sense of judgment for, that mm, comes from the church. And it's exactly. very hurtful. Mm-hmm. And I've felt that like not even talking about LGBTQ stuff, not even talking about sin, but talking about not feeling good enough as a pastor not feeling good enough as a worship leader, not feeling equipped enough to lead a church. And that comes from national office, state office, even your local church. Like you don't feel equipped and you don't feel, you don't feel this sense of worth because society tells us we're not good enough. And it, and it also comes in it, it, that parallels with the, with the topics that we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks. Like it's no wonder people don't want to step foot in the church. I don't care if, it's it's if it's related to the lgbtq conversation or not it's like people don't want to go to church because they don't feel like they're welcome there yeah and that and, society, and that, that goes yeah. that's that's a church health thing that's not that has nothing to do with lgbtq or chaga firm or you know the yeah. straight the straight middle class you know uh blue collar working hard you know man that comes home and drinks a case of beer every night like that's mm-hmm. it has yeah. no different, right? It has no difference. They don't feel like they're welcome in that church because of mm-hmm. the territorialness. Is that even a word? The territorialness yeah. of 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 folks uh, when you walk when you step foot in the church because they feel like this is my church, this is my pew, this is my whatever, and you know my family's been going here for twenty years. Great, yeah. but what does Jesus tell us? Right, Jesus tells us to love the least of these. And if we're not good at loving, then how are we going to be a good church? And how are mm-hmm. we going to be good Christ followers? And how are we going to welcome folks in if if we can't, you know, I guess exude that love or exemplify that love and exemplify, um, you know, Christianity by the way that Jesus called us to? And if that's, you know, back to your scripture conversation, you know, if we don't, you know, we don't live out the gospel like we're supposed to, then what are we doing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, have you, I was going to ask you, you know, as we kind of wrap this up, but, um, have you read this book? I have not read that book. So Jim Lyon wrote a book, um, back when he was, um, the senior pastor at Madison Park Church of God, mm-hmm. um, in Anderson. And it was called go ahead, ask anything. And there's different topics in the, the, the book. And I've read the book. It's a very good read. It's called, uh, go ahead, ask anything answers to your questions about life. And, mm. I don't know if this was towards the end of his time at at Madison Park before he took the general director's job, but one of the main topics is homosexuality. And um, the last chapter talks about homosexuality and um, the 
you know, I'll read just a section of it, but it says, uh, do you, do you want to, um, do you want to go with God? Trust him, trust his word for every person reading this book, thinking quote, you don't understand. I admit it. I don't understand your case, but then you don't understand mine either. That aside, you are loved. I know that you are people in my church who are precious to me, who struggle right in front of me in a pew every single Sunday. Mm-hmm. And I, and you know that I love you and the church loves you and God loves you, but I can never help someone. I can never love someone by telling them what the Bible says is wrong or the Bible says is uh by telling them that what the Bible says is wrong is right. Human sexuality is an extraordinary gift from God. When man is by the light of his word, it has the power to bless and encourage beyond human understanding. If, however, pursued outside the Lord's design, it can never satisfy. We are called to be holy. We are called to be distinctly Christian. From the most ancient time until present day, our sexual ethic will, as much anything else, mark us as the Lord's own. Homosexuality separates us from God, not the world. The Bible does not give it license. Hmm. So that's just a little excerpt from his book and the the chapter about uh, homosexuality. Hmm. Um, But what I took from that is that, you know, as, as critical beings as we are, we also need to love and love is a powerful thing. And we need to be better. We need to be better at that. Yeah. And even, and you even said like, you know, society always tells you that you're not good enough. Mm-hmm. Well, the church should be the place to tell you you are enough. Mm-hmm. And especially not only you are enough where you are, but then that God can elevate you from where you are. And I think when the church is just communicating the same things from the world, putting the pressure on worship leaders, pastors, even just regular lay, pay, lay people that feels like that they're still not good enough, even though they're sitting in a place that the healing of God should come forth and the unconditional love of Jesus should be pouring from the pulpit onto people, then there has to be, it is, it's a church health thing and it has to change in order to see people be redeemed by God and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So what's your final thought on, on and everything as it stands right now from the I thing think, Friday? I feel like, you know, just the language that Jim used where he kept saying, as of right now, as of right now, as of right now. Do you he think it'll change? A lot. I think, here's what I think. I think if there's, I mean, one thing I didn't hear, and again, I was kind of, sometimes I'd have to skip ahead because it was 90 minutes. It's like, you know, I just want to hit like the highlights of it. Mm-hmm. I don't know if there's ever a conversation where Jim said that me and a couple of, you know, me, Josh, and a couple of other people are going to sit down with kind of the founders of this Church of God Affirm, and we're just going to have open dialogue and discussion, and we're going to kind of talk about things. We're going to explore the scripture together. We're going to we're going to do this. Like, I don't think I heard that um, being mentioned at all, but I think the thing is, is that the door is still open for conversations. It's almost like, as of right now, this is where the Church of God stays. At the same time, because we are a Bible that is rooted it says where I mean, sorry, sorry, since we are a movement that's rooted in God's word, if you're going to, and this was the point I made last time, if you're going to say that there is a biblical foundation for affirming LGBTQ, then you need to make those points and you need to have those conversations. So then that way, if there is a change, and, there, and go through the proper channels, if and that's the through, way that our church is set up, then yes, we need to go through and that. go through proper channels and make sure that we have those conversations. And I think that is something that needs to happen 
At least don't just and but I think that but in the same way I think that does need to happen in a way to keep the conversation and the door open because if you're going to say as of right now this is where it is but we still need to be in conversation churches need to be a loving place but then on the national side you're just completely blocking any discussion or questions from Cog Affirm then then you've kind of done a disservice to basically saying here's where we are at now. Let's have keep the door open. Let's have conversation. And then you could behind you shut the back door so no one can enter in and have that conversation anymore. Or you go back to, well, we know what we believe, and you go back to that, then you're really going to start alienating a lot of people. Which again, and by a lot, I don't know necessarily a lot's a good number, but you know, when I first saw the website, there was at least over a hundred signatures. And it probably grew in the last couple of weeks. So the fact is that you're going to have people who are going to listen to this and they're going to think, okay, well, if Jim Lines says, as of yet, are we still going to have the conversation? And if we're not going to have the conversation, then basically the national office, Jim Lyons, the credentialing team, the GA doesn't want to have the conversation, which kind of just blows whole Jim's thesis that, you know, churches need to open place and we need to have a conversation on all things with human sexuality. Yeah, I, um, I would totally agree. I think that think that we, you know, Jim made it known that this is what the GA stands for, and that we that we report to the GA. The GA is the ultimate decision, and the things that I took away from it was that, again, man, a marriage in the Church of God right now, as it stands, is between a man and a woman. And the other thing I took was that if uh, you are transgender or gay, you will not hold credentials in the Church of God. And if uh, you are, um, that's a conversation that you need to have with your, your credentials board in the state that you reside in. Um, and my thought is that, you know, if that were the case, then you would lose your license and credentials. So I, that's at least what I took from it. And mm. um, I think that they're, again, Scott, like to to further your point, I think that there does need to be a continuing conversation and dialogue. We didn't even talk about the, um, maybe another, maybe another episode down the road, but we never, we didn't talk about the the fact that he wants to, Jim, Jim also stated that he wants to put like a, a case study together and a, a team together to talk about sexuality and sexual ethics in the church of God to see where we are. Um, but I don't know what that would do. Um, and you know, when you said you were GA last fall, for example, and they talked mm -hmm. about this equity team and talked about, you know, race and, um, what women was the other thing? Women, women in ministry. ministry. Yeah, yeah. Thank mm -hmm. you. Um, women in ministry and race, like that, the response was, well, we have enough on our plate. Well, okay. What, what did you find in reference to women in ministry and what did you find in reference to race and all those discussions uh, about around the, the equity uh, conversation which and, apparently that's supposed to be revealed at ga this year okay all the findings great i guess i'll have to pay my 30 dollars and watch um but all that to say um you know our hope here and, and scott you can follow up with this but our hope is that we would we would love like jesus and we would hope that um people would be encouraged by um what they see and what they hear and 
feel welcome and feel loved. And it's, um, I'm glad to see that we're finally having some sort of conversation. Um, I'd be lying if I wasn't nervous about Friday's thing. Um, mm-hmm. Not that there was a whole lot that he could do or say unless he wanted to go completely off the rails, which I I know Jim and I don't think that he would. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, you know, I part of me was subconsciously thinking like, are people thinking that he's just going to just completely go off and and like that was especially that was in my... the comment section. That's what I think a lot of people. Oh, we didn't we didn't talk do. about that either. We don't have another hour, but like, yeah, we don't. You... We got. I have to go take my kid to football <laughs> camp. <laughs> but but like the. There was, there was, uh, I watched the stream in real time, right? And mm-hmm. so, like, I could see the comments, you know, flipping as they were. And see, the comments were disabled when I watched it, so I didn't get to see anything. I was talking more about the comments before Friday. If, if you look at the video now, it says all the comments have been disabled. Yeah. Um, while I was watching it in real time, there were some folks that were making some pretty, I, I don't remember, for example, what they were, but there were some pretty, uh, I don't know, outlandish is the right word for it, but like um Jim said something in his address about LGBTQ plus being an alphabet of people talking about, you know, the different, you know, what they stand for. And he used the phrase LGBTQ uh I A I A I I don't I can't keep up. Yeah, LGBTQ, that's okay. That that group of people is an alphabet of people that have been put together based on the beliefs of what they are. That's a fair definition. Somebody in the comment section went, Jim, those are people. Like, was like being really rude about it, I guess. And um, and later on, towards the end of the address, um, somebody said, does anybody else feel like their comments are being censored? And so, like, there was this, like, conversation about, like, and, like, you couldn't see certain people's comments, and it was just this whole thing. So, um, but now if you go back and look at it, there there's no comments at all. Because more likely, it's probably because <sighs> I'm going to get on another tangent. I shouldn't because we, we're running out of time. But it's fine. Yeah, it's fine. I feel like I mean, if you're we didn't, we didn't even talk about the 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 case study that Jim wants to do. We didn't talk about the comments at all. But that's okay. But that's okay. We don't really need to get into other people's drama or yes. nastiness, or especially if they're a pastor and they're being nasty. Like, yeah, maybe your credential should be taken. But eh, I'm not going to go there. But anyway, and with that said, with that said, good night, everybody. But guys, thank you so much for listening. I know, I know this is, especially if you're a Church of God person and you're listening to this. I know this is kind of a very um, hard thing to discuss. I know it's been a hard thing for Mike and I to discuss at the beginning. And I know we didn't really dive too much in LGBTQIA issues. We mostly talked about just kind of the structure, which I think is important on how the Church of God is structured, how, what they believe about the Bible, how that does affect what we believe or kind of the conversations we have with LGBTQIA people. So um, with all that, thank you guys so much for listening. Let us know what you think in the comments. We definitely enjoy reading them. We definitely know what appreciating what you think. And again, if you write something, we'll probably mention it on our show in our next episode. So friends, take care. Have a great day. Bye. Bye.